the best way to boost the value of a property is to get a great tenant in there that's going to boost the NOI. I would say the one that you kind of maybe see on the side of the road that doesn't really make sense. Sometimes it just has to be redeveloped if it's in the path of progress. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. This is your host, Dr. Michael McManus, and we are here with Darren Huang for the second part of our interview. We're talking warehouse here. And if you didn't hear the first episode, please go back and listen to it. For me, this is an area that I've been trying to understand more and, and is not part of what I've done. And he gave some great simplification of what warehouses are used for industrial property and the whole distribution space. So welcome back, Darren. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Yeah, I felt like we nerded out that first episode. So um, yeah, that was really fun for me. I love doing that stuff. So thank you. Uh well, thank you. I was really like, oh man, I'm just asking. Usually I'm trying to think, what would doctors want to know about this? I, <laughs> I got a little selfish on that one. I was like, oh, this is what I want to know. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So we were talking about the distribution from like these giant warehouses, like with Amazon. And so what I've been seeing, and this is again, is kind of new to me. So you get a giant Amazon distribution center, but then you see these smaller warehouses grow all around it. And my understanding is, is these are maybe smaller companies who use Amazon as a distribution center or support that. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. So I don't have exact experience with this, but if I was just to talk in theory, it makes sense. Think of all the moving parts that go in and out of an actual distribution center, especially a large one that's a million square feet plus. So electrician are they ever going to need an electrician yeah of course do they need tires for their semis yeah of course do they need body shops do they need fuel do they need anything to help that supply chain to actually service it yeah so that's one whole industry and then yeah you're exactly right there is an industry that uses amazon or their third-party logistics to be able to just service their clients too so it makes sense as you can tell but yeah when there is a larger you know for example in tulsa we just had a company called enel and they do green energy, so they do solar. So not only are we going to get their business and their manufacturing and their jobs, there's going to be so many other companies that come to support this $2 billion investment into Tulsa and the surrounding area. Because guess what? There's need to be trucks. There's need to be anything to help with that manufacturing process. Okay. So that makes sense. Where I'm at now is in an office in Green Bay that we're a mile from one of the large Green Bay packaging production facilities. But around that is a whole village of smaller warehouses, smaller distribution things that they need electricians, they need people who build the machines that make cardboard boxes. So that's when Amazon decides to build one of those warehouses, you get a whole village to support that giant warehouse that pops up. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So now stepping away from there, because this is one of the other ones I see being in a Green Bay in an industrial area. And we talked the last time about some of the class C and class D warehouse space. So it's older. It doesn't have as big of doors. And sometimes that if somebody was wanting to invest on their own, so if, if you want to invest in big warehouses, there's REITs, there's syndications, there's ways to do that. 
if somebody wanted to buy their own and they're new and they don't have $20 million <laughs> and you see a smaller warehouse and maybe it's getting into flex space, but it's older, but it's affordable. What kind of things would you be leasing that out to? Who are you looking for to lease that to? Yeah, great question. I love this space because that's exactly where I am. I specialize in what's called local credit tenants. So if you think of national credit tenants, that's the Amazon, that's the bigger companies. I stay in Tulsa and I try to position myself to kind of those blue collar local credit tenants. And so I have a 50,000 square foot building that has 16 or 15 different bays in it. And the average bay is 3000 square feet. So I'll just kind of rattle off my tenants and really anybody can be in an industrial space. So even a heavy office user, I have one tenant that has 60% office and a small warehouse in the back. So I'll just rattle them off. The first one is a body shop. They do specialized in Italian cars. So Lamborghini, Ferrari, Maserati, I believe. Second one, they do machinery. So they take like a big spindle of metal and they kind of whittle it down. Third one is that hummus distributor. So they distribute hummus to their supermarkets, but it's manufactured in Texas. Third one is that office space that I was telling you about. It's a uh, solar company. 60% of it is office have the bath bomb and candle maker distribution. I have a auto detailer. I have a person that distributes Mexican spices. This one's fun. I have a crematory maker manufacturer, so they don't actually provide the service, but they make the machines, the kilns, sell them to veterinarians, hospitals, other places like that. General contractors. So that's very blue collar service masters that does like wind hail and restoration in Oklahoma, we have toll booths. So I have a contractor that fixes the toll booths in the other one. So that was just kind of a long list of local guys, local credit people that I like to rent out to. Well, that's a great example that you've got a machine shop to a food producer in the same building. And that all works. There's all kinds of people who can use that space. Mm -hmm. So in a smaller uh like you know the end of life building so it looks like a beat up building what does it take is that something that then you're leasing to i don't know a trash company or a paint shop or is that something that then maybe you fix up and you clean it up what does it take to reposition a warehouse yeah it's pretty simple it's just whatever the user wants and at first it's kind of a chicken and egg, like maybe you keep it in this dilapidated form and paint a vision and maybe get some renderings and drawings for the next person. Or you start the process and say, hey, listen, this is what we're going to do to finish it up. But really it's kind of a cop-out answer. The best way to boost the value of a property is to get a great tenant in there that's going to boost the NOI. And so once again, a cop-out answer, I would say the one that you kind of maybe see on the side of the road that doesn't really make sense. Sometimes it just has to be redeveloped. If it's in the path of progress and it's best for the city overlay and the planning department, they've already decided that that's what you have to do. But a lot of these can be either demised, which I really have enjoyed doing. This is what I recently did the story of the entrepreneur that started in 1500 square feet that went to 3000 then 6000 then 12000 that's exactly this person that we bought it from they had a 6000 square foot warehouse 
yeah, 6,000. They started in 1,500, went to 3,000, 4,500, then 6,000. And so they took all their units and made them one unit. But guess what? There was three electric meters, two gas meters, et cetera. So it could be demised. So we took it. They were going to their next place. We divided in half. So 3,000 to 3,000. And we're able to boost the price point per square foot on that one. So there's demise plays like that to be able to turn it back into a duplex or triplex if we wanted to, different things along those lines. But usually the smaller the tenant, the need for like really tall bays and really big doors goes away just based on the size of the company. When you say demising, that's basically splitting it up into smaller spaces. Correct. Yeah. It's an industry term, but yes. <laughs> it's the first time I ever heard it. Does that mean tear it down? What's it sound like a bad <laughs> yeah. thing? Or just it so is kind just... of like a negative. It sounds scary. Yeah, for sure. But <laughs> it just means putting up walls to divide the space, really dividing the space is a better maybe phrase that I should use. That's awesome. I'm looking back here at your bio I got here, and your superpower is being a big visionary focused on a local market. Tell me more about how that your superpower works out. Yeah, definitely. I'm uh, 90 on the visionary scale, so I can see a potential for anything really and just kind of dream that up and just be, oh, what if this happened? What if that happened? What if we did this? So I really am good at that. And so what I really like about the industrial space is on a national level, the vacancy rate is extremely low. And so just kind of going to the points of why I decided to get into industrial real estate, because I was initially thinking residential coming from my residential portfolio, I was thinking, oh, let's get into multifamily, maybe let's get into mobile home parks. They say cash flow is really great there. But industrial really, I fell in love with it because it's business to business. There's triple net leases and the vacancy rate is really low because there's been this explosion of industrial need that's specifically in the distribution space. So right now in Tulsa, our vacancy rate is like two or 3%. I think maybe uh -huh. it's a little bit closer to 4% now, but that's just because 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there wasn't a need to put something on your doorstep in less than two days. And guess what? The majority of people are doing that. But there's still a narrative for retail, of course. I'm not bashing on retail because 15% of things that are sold are bought online. So there's still a very large gap. People are projecting out maybe 22, 23 in the next 10 years of percent instead, but really has exploded. And in this kind of interest rate market, it's really hard to develop things. So things that are close to people in town are really, really helpful. And they're going to appreciate in value because you can't just build a huge Amazon warehouse in the middle of town. And so I like that as my superpower. I like focusing in on Tulsa. I like being able to shake hands with my tenants and see them eye to eye and try to make deals with them because they're usually blue collar or entrepreneur type that they are starting their own business. So I love that aspect about it. And yeah, I just felt like it's a glove that fits and I love it so much. So I'm glad I found it. That's awesome. So you're in Tulsa and I hear a lot about Oklahoma and Tulsa right now. I'm asking this because my little brother recently moved to near Oklahoma City. So is Oklahoma City as hot as Tulsa? Yeah, as far definitely. As the it's a it's market, not just the sun. <laughs> yeah, it's finally getting down. It's not 100 degrees anymore. So thankful of that. But yeah, we're starting to get some fall weather so I can bust out my vest. But yeah, Oklahoma City and Tulsa have really grown just based on the population migration and then also just the population growth. So Oklahoma City is a little bit larger than Tulsa. I think it's 1.3 million. It is a top 20. I think it's either 20 or 21 largest metro in America. And then Tulsa is just teetered over a million people for the MSA. 
and that puts us around 52, 53. So we're 20 and 50, depending on that. But then we're also really strategically in between some really cool companies, including Northwest Arkansas, headquarters of Walmart, really close to DFW, or OKC is too, really close to DFW, which has grown and exploded. We're also pretty close to Kansas City, which has a very large hub of railroads. And that's kind of the gateway, they say, or I guess that's St. Louis, but you know, Missouri gateway into the West or East. So we're strategically positioned and we have population growth too. So all those factors really help out when it comes to choosing. But really, once again, my superpower, big visionary is that I'm able to make money on basically every single part. So usually if I'm sitting down face to face, with an owner, the last two deals that I've done, I've been able to do an owner finance or a seller carry back. Secondly, on my lease up, I'm showing the properties, I'm shaking their hands. I know of tenants that you don't know because they run their ads on Tulsa TV or Tulsa radio. You would have no idea who they are. And so their credibility probably drops and you might even pass on them. Same thing for construction, same thing for management too. So I'm really able to have some really amazing competitive edges by being here in Tulsa and still operating as basically a small business too also. You start getting people coming to you and saying, hey, you were advertising that one. Do you have anything else? Absolutely. Um, we had a couple vacancies that all came at one time and I was able to show them three different spots and we filled them up very, very quickly. So it's really great to have that. Also a broker relationship too. If brokers know that you have small bays, once again, it's usually not worth their time, especially if it's only a one or two or three year lease to help those people. So they just kind of say, Hey, listen, what do you have? Okay. I know that I'm going to get paid by Darren because he's very quick and he's very good at placing people too. So I'm just going to refer my people to him. And if they have anything great kind of going from there. That's got to help you when you're looking at potentially buying new space. If you know you're talking to people and what they're looking for. When you drive around, you look at a building, you're like, hey, that's one that Bob needs something just like that. Maybe we should go buy that building. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. There was a time probably about a couple months ago where I just had a like a slew of people wanting. And so we fought pretty aggressively for that duplex project that we did that was 6,000 demised into 3,000, 3,000. We usually wouldn't take on a project that small, but we had the tenants lined up and we bought it vacant. And one month later, it's 100% occupied. So we can't make that up, you know? <laughs> <laughs> And that's awesome because it's different when you're trying to underwrite a project and you're looking at, well, going lease rates are about versus if you've already got a tenant. How does that work with the bank, with the financing? Is that when you got owner financing or does that it one we actually bought fully a... cash? Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. So that one was so small, it was 6,000 square feet. We got a good cost basis in it. And then we had potential tenants on the back end. So we actually just bought that one fully cash. And you know, we have a close to maybe a double digit yield on cost. So double digit cap rate potentially. I think it might be 9.8 or 9.9, but we'll be okay. <laughs> we'll live. But yeah, <laughs> the financing now is super tough. Obviously in this higher dramatic and very sharp increase of interest rates, it's really hard for things to pencil. And we've really relied, like I said, on our relationships with existing banks to even like get them interested and then having that seller carry back in the second position in some cases to make deals work. Those have been my past two deals that I've been able to pass across the finish line. And the banks have been very, very low LTV, high interest rate, different things like that. The sellers still wants theirs too. So we've been able to put them into their, that second position. And then we raise the capital on top of that. So. So there's your creative visionary part there, finding a way <laughs> to make it work. Yes. 
So you got your last thing here. This was pretty cool that you said you recently learned that as a visionary and an entrepreneur, you're a rare breed because approximately 3% of the population employs 66% of the workforce. Yes. Tell me more about that. I mean, we hear these kind of like how many people work in small businesses and such, but how being part of that, is that part of your mission and part of what gives you the drive every day because you know you're helping provide a place for people to work? Yeah, yeah. So this kind of just like has been an overarching kind of theme within my investing and my career too. So initially, when I first got into investing, I was just trying to serve myself. I was going to be, hey, listen, I was listening to Bigger Pockets a lot back then, and they were talking about financial freedom. You can do this on a beach. This is passive investing. It really isn't, by the way, guys, even <laughs> as a triple net investor, I still get calls. I'm still active in the business, unless you just want to buy 15-year leases and have a little bit lower yield on cost or cap rate and stuff like that. So that was my initial goal. And when I hit that number, I didn't have any time freedom. And so it was just kind of a teeter-totter of, okay, let me hire out this. Okay, well, then I'm not hitting my financial freedom number and teeter-totter, teeter-totter until I actually hit what I wanted to say was early retirement. But really, I was feeling super unfulfilled. I was still antsy. As you can tell, I'm a builder. I like talking about things. I'm kind of a nerd. I like data and I like building businesses and teams out. And so that was a direct quote from either the EOS kind of framework. So usually a quote from Traction by Gina Wickman, or it was Rocket Fuel by the same authors. And so they said, hey, listen, three to 4% employ 66% of people. And so I just kind of took it as a burden going back into commercial real estate, not a burden, but I took it as mantle, if you will, going back into commercial real estate to help and actually raise capital in this round. Because previously, like I said, I was just serving myself. My residential portfolio is mainly owned by me. And that was just because I was trying to hit those numbers, feeling really unfulfilled, launched out into commercial real estate where I do JVs. And I haven't done a syndication yet, but we're raising capital on all our deals, trying to spread the wealth and trying to spread the skills that I have. And so, yeah, I do take it as uh, now knowing what my skills are and not trying to compensate for them. I try to lean into my skills and be able to provide the best outsized returns for patient capital in industrial real estate. It's really cool because it is a thing you start getting into the real estate world where there's so many places where it's adding value and you're helping somebody else and through helping them, they're helping you. And it's not a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, I had one more thing to say about that and it just slipped my mind. Let me talk a little bit about the zero sum game because I love that you mentioned that because working with smaller businesses, I get to see them grow. Now, some of them do not make it off the ground and the startup phase is a little bit harder, but there's aspects even now, I have a tenant that needs to double his space and he's only been there for one year. And I locked him in and I said, hey, listen, let's just do a three-year lease, not a five-year lease because it seems like you're growing. And so I'm able to work with him and I'm actually going to get him into another space without breaking his lease. And we're just going to what's called blend and extend his lease to double his space. And so it really is not a zero-sum game. And once again, the spaces that I provide and the locations that I provide, they should really explode business 
And so you're able to help each other out by providing either a great location, a great functional warehouse, or just even the space to be able to get outside of the garage or get outside of the self-storage that they're in. And so there's a story I like to tell. I have this Brazilian jujitsu tenant, and you wouldn't really think of one of those people in a flex space or industrial space, but guess what? They have an open warehouse. It's climate controlled. They have a couple offices. They put down their mats. They put down their bags and stuff like that. And they, what's called roll. And, you know, that's their sparring or whatever the case may be. Well, they were in like kind of a suburb outside of town. They got too big of a lease and then they came back to a smaller one. Well, guess what? We're almost doubling their space again. And they're only six months into it because the location is more in town. So they've been able to attract more people to sign up for their services. And with that, the smaller space gives them a little bit more budget to actually run events and bring in other coaches and famous people like Anderson Silva and stuff like that. And they've just exploded from this. And so now six months into it, we're almost doubling their space again. Obviously, we're giving them a good deal, kind of bumping up the rent as they want, because it is not a zero-sum game. It's a win-win situation. We, as a landlord, get to provide them a really great space. They exploded because they were in a better part of town, closer to their clientele, and then smaller space, and then stepping them up. So it really is great to be able to work with small businesses like this. That's awesome, because they're not just locked into one thing, and you're there helping them grow, and, and then somebody else benefits on the other side. But with that story, I remembered mine was, you know, you talked yes. about semi-retiring. And my dad told me this once. He's like, retiring isn't quitting working. Retiring is quitting doing what you don't want to. We all got to get up and do something every day. But when you get up and do things you look forward to, you're not really working anymore. You're just doing your thing. So, yeah. well, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Anything else that you want to share before we wrap it up? This has been an awesome educational opportunity for me. And I think you've probably added a lot of value to our listeners. Yeah, I love industrial real estate. I wish I would have learned about it before. And so if you're interested, if this is kind of more your speed, not just the residential, not just like apartment complexes or whatever, I really encourage you to dive in. There's not a lot of great resources because even though it is the largest asset class per square foot in America, there's not a lot of resources. So reach out to me, feel free. There's a couple other thought leaders in this space talking about industrial space, but yeah, I love talking about it. As you can tell, I'm kind of a nerd. So the best way to reach me is either through LinkedIn. Um, so I'm really active. I post five times per week or my website, and you can directly book a call, which is darrenhuang.com. That's D-E-R-E-N-H-U-A-N-G.com. And then there's a schedule call, or you can sign up for my newsletter too. All right. And we'll put both of those in the show notes. And your LinkedIn is spectacular. It's one of my favorite things to see every day. So appreciate you putting that content out there. All right. Thank you for joining us today on Surgeon Syndicate. This has been an awesome conversation with Darren. Please leave us a review. That really helps us know what people are liking. And we'll see you again next time. Thank you for being here. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, no other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better. So I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment and leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.